Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Sam Watts. He's creating immersive experiences and partnerships for enterprise and entertainment over at Make Real. He's got decades of experience. You might have seen him as a VR Sam online verified, but he's got decades of experience of building entertainment experiences that are also educational. And we're going to go diving deep about a couple of the flagship titles, the titles that came out through Oculus. We're going to be talking about enterprise work. We're going to talk about soft skills and where the industry is going and all that fun stuff. And so without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Sam Watts. Hey, brother. Hey, Dylan. How's it going? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, it's a sunny afternoon. I can't complain. Lockdown's easing. Uh, we're coming to the end of this current uh uh, dilemma. So hopefully it. it'll be it'll be nice and easy moving into summer. Congratulations! Very happy to hear that. Yes, it's early morning for us over here on the the West Coast, um, and also sunny. Did what you have right now with the the, the pandemic and stuff? Well, let's first talk about. It. So how's it going over there right now? And then how's how's it been for the world of VR and you? Uh, I don't think. Uh, well, it depends who you ask. Uh, I think if you ask our government, they'll say that they've handled the situation very well. Mm. Um, I think the average person uh, who, you know, a year later, since we first went into lockdown in March 2020, we're still pretty much here, um, still working from home, still working remote. Um, life has changed completely. Um, and we have like the highest death toll in Europe. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's been going particularly well, um, but personally for us, you know, I love working at home. I love working remote. Uh, we've switched the whole studio to working remote. Um, we were very much, uh, you know, people it, people in the studio beforehand, physically present, um, and within a couple of weeks, we're all up and running, and uh, uh, everything seems fine, and everyone, majority of is is preferring that. Um, but now, you know, we're looking like most people, how do we work in the new normal? Is it a mix of flexi? Do some people stay at home? Some people want to go back to the studio, mm. a bit of both. Um, but in terms of, you know, the immersive tech and VR, um, a lot of our clients and we're seeing, you know, a lot of people are embracing a technology and using it in new ways beyond just that single use case that they had, they had before. They're very much embracing it as a tool uh, to help them work more efficiently. Mm, nice. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's kind of that silver lining thing going on with the whole uh, COVID pandemic. It is terrible for the, the the global economy, everything that's going on, but great for virtual reality. And so it's like, yeah. it's that like balance of the two. And, it, and the weird thing was also because we, yeah, we were a, a studio as well and we had a shift to go on online and all remotes and things. What what hiccups did you see making that transition going into the remote space? And what were some of the, the hidden benefits that you've seen now that you've gone fully fully remote? Um, I think initially it was slightly easier in a lot of ways because a lot of our development was already done in the cloud. It was already done remotely. We didn't have to rely upon that much hardware in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of our files, all of our backups and everything, they were external anyway. So it was just a case of accessing those from home rather than from the studio. Mm -hmm. um, the obvious first issue is not everyone has really good home broadband. So there was a lot of people rapidly upgrading their broadband to have faster speeds to cope with download and uploads, you know, huge builds and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, some systems we use, you know, you need whitelisted IPs, so we can't necessarily do that from home. Um, so we still need to, you know, need to VPN into the office and then pretend you're coming from the office to get to those systems. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's more about, I mean, I'm very fortunate because I don't have kids. I live in a countryside. I've got a spare room. I can turn into an office. Uh, I've got a garden. It's all very nice um, and very pleasant for me. But, you know, there are people in the studio who are parents and they have to juggle homeschooling, um, normal life, uh, partners working, uh, trying to, you know, small spaces, people living on their own. 
it, it, you know, it, it's not been an easy ride for everyone. Mm. But I think overall, you know, we've probably seen people are more productive just because, you know, developers typically, they don't like being bothered because they want to just get on and develop. So when they're not in the studio, they can just work and get their heads down rather than being interrupted every 10 minutes to go to a meeting or, you know, being asked about something um, or any kind of, you know, background noise and distractions. So it's great for them. Um, but then we still have to find out ways of how do we ensure that you have that connection between the team. Um, it's not all just about work, right? Um, it's about those relationships and um, fostering uh, uh, the culture and a nice place to work still. Um, so we've been doing a lot of social uh, uh, activities remotely together to make sure that we still have those water cooler moments or, you know, catch-ups in the morning when you're making a cup of coffee or whatever. So, yeah, so uh, w talk to me a little bit more about that on, like, these social, you know, water cooler moments that you're creating. Um, because you're right, there's a natural byproduct that happens when you're together, like people are together, yeah. and you just shoot the shit, as it were. Um, what, like, what are you doing now to actively foster that type of connection? Um, we've tried out a variety of things. Um, you know, first and foremost, it's all voluntary. Um, yeah. It's because some people, they're like, no, I'm just going to do my work, and then I need that clear distinction, you know, yeah. uh, between my work area and my home area, and etc. Um, but we've done everything pretty much like most companies probably. We've done, you know, virtual Zoom pub quizzes, um, escape rooms, uh, VR social social VR meetups. Uh, multiplayer gaming. I mean, we make our own multiplayer games, so we've been playing our own game quite a lot. Um, you know, it, it's in development for a new platform, which I can't quite announce yet. But um, we've been doing a lot of testing uh, with beers on Fridays, um, and uh, but then you know, it doesn't all have to be digital because we spend a lot of extra time looking at screens, and sometimes you just want to not be involved in a screen. So we've been doing food home care packs, giving people vouchers to go shopping, uh, to buy like, uh, uh, there's a there's a place here in the UK where all the street food diner, uh, sort of like caravans have come together and you can buy their, their restaurant and their, their meal kits. Um, mm. And we've sort of been doing, you know, sort of cooking together on a Friday um, or even just, you know, giving them vouchers to get nice food to spend some quality time with their family or, or their partner or their cats or whoever um, a, a away from work. So sort of like a anti-social event, as it were. Yeah, yeah. that's great. The uh, yeah, the, We call those food truck roundups here where you get a bunch of them, yeah. them together and they kind of serve the people and stuff. But that there, it's funny because that is super important. Um, it's odd because like we want to, we generally want to just get on with our work, but then there's like this degradation of like, of uh human connection that that eats away slowly it's like it's like yeah. not working it's like not working out it's like oh you can get away with it for a little bit of time but then all else and you look back and you realize oh wow like you're 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 deep in the hole so that's what i'm yeah. very very curious about how to keep it going and i agree with you someone that also builds multiplayer gaming who plays it with the teams and people like you spend a lot of time um in that space and it's fun but then after a while you're like okay I'm good. I'm just. I'm. 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 I'm full on this thing. What? Let's go do something else. Like a, I don't know, like a cooking class or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's really difficult because you know, as as developers and evangelists of mm. VR and trying to encourage adoption, then obviously we're gonna encourage people who don't use it every single day or you know don't have devices go out and this is a way to connect during a pandemic. Um, but as developers, because we're using it every day and building for it all the time, sometimes going into VR chat or alt space or, you know, whichever social VR uh, app to do something not work related, it's like, oh, you know, I've spent all day in VR. I don't necessarily want to use it again um, in my free time. I just need to go for a walk and, you know, look at, you know, a, a long distance as opposed to something that's sort of two foot away. 100%. What's your What's your favorite uh, that you guys have made? What's your favorite social VR experience? Um, we we generally use Alt Space most, I think, just because 
Um, it has a lot of features in terms of creating your own spaces, but also there's a huge set of, of events always running. Um, and obviously, uh, as, as VR developers, our, our usual way of getting people into VR is doing a face-to-face -face event and putting headsets on people. Mm -hmm. um, so going to a space where you can create and bring assets from your content in um, is, is one way of doing that. Um, but um, I think it's just the, the audio is really good and the stability is really good. Um, and I think in terms of our general sort of enterprise client side, uh, they're, they're, um, they're more interested in the sort of the more enterprise friendly avatars, et cetera. Um, and we sort of worry about, you know, uh, if they go wandering too far in like VR chat and they come across all the furries and, uh, anime, <laughs> uh, uh, school girls, et cetera, um, uh, their, their enterprise sort of. IT policies will be, you know, flagging uh, pretty rapidly. So um, I know, obviously, they all have their own private spaces you can go straight into. But um, we just have to be very careful about what we introduce our clients to, because you know, it's it's our recommendation. It's. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I wrote a blog post though at the start, like March 2020, about applications that were enabling remote work and remote collaboration and remote meetings and there was already 46 different applications then um, and that was at the beginning of the, the lockdown so it's you know it's quite a gold rush and there's a lot to choose from at the moment depending upon what your particular use case is yeah what about the talking about your journey you've been evangelizing vr for a number of years what was your first mind-blown holy crap moment vr is the thing like what what got you into this whole space well i mean that was in the 90s with the virtuality machine you know uh, there's a place in london called trocadero center that used to have a few virtuality machines and you know you go and play um dactyl nightmare and pay five pounds or whatever and you know you have this very low resolution uh, poor computer quality graphics at the time and you'd come away mostly with a headache because you know the technology was so old and yeah. not particularly high spec but that was my first experience, and that was like, you know, holy shit, you know, this is going to be something when it's usable for a period of time um, and doesn't require this massive booth and huge, great heavy helmet. And mm. at a time, you know, uh, many, many thousands worth of, worth of kit. Um, and it was when I joined Make Real in oh, 2013, um, and the... Oculus Rift DK1 Kickstarter backer rewards arrived. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was suddenly like, wow, okay, we've done some work already with sort of military grade equipment, but that was much lower resolution, much higher latency, much smaller field of view, uh, required, you know, really expensive PCs to run it. Um, and then suddenly you had this $300 device that ran Unity out of the box off a you know, relatively cheap PC. Um, in, in comparison, it's just like, wow, you know, this is going to be great, right? Um, but like most people, I went into that Tuscany demo and I moved around with the Xbox gamepad. I remember that. And it was in 3DOF. And, you know, I felt pretty ill for like a good number of hours after that. And I was just like, <laughs> it's awesome, but my God, um, what do we need to do to you know, make that comfortable for, for everyone. I'm curious how many people got to the top of that balcony and threw up. That's what I want to know. This <laughs> is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Tuskegee scene, for anybody that doesn't remember, like you, you, you put on the DK, you get the DK1 box, this nice, hard, plastic shelled box. You open up the DK1, you put it on, you, you put in all the sensors, you plug in the computer, you have to like get it all like just perfect. But then you'd go inside Tuscany. It was beautiful. I, I remember there was some motions. I think there were some particle effects. There were some mm. things happening in there that, that kind of gave you a sense that you were really there. And to today's standards, it's crap. It's absolute crap. Um, but back then, you it was amazing. And it's just, it's a, like right now, I'm so envious of like the 12-year-old kids that get the Oculus box <laughs> at their house yeah, for Christmas. Yeah. And they're like, yes! And they don't have to deal with the decades of, it's coming. I swear VR is almost here. So yeah. it's, it's cool to see how far 
we've come in the time given with um how's yeah, your it's been eight years you know <laughs> eight years only eight that's yeah. crazy the yeah. how how has your opinions changed about vr um or like your like as the technology has gotten better where has your mind shifted to um in the and and what's possible for the world of vr well i mean we've always adopted a very sort of slowly slowly sort of gently gently approach um and tried not to get too carried away with the early sort of analyst predictions of we're going to be billionaires uh, and you know we're going to have five yachts and you know it's going to be a gold rush within months etc etc and you know we saw in what 2014 2015 2016 2017 it was like the year of vr and then at the end of each year, it was like, oh, VR dead. And it wasn't the, the year of VR. Um, we've always maintained a very sort of stoic, sensible approach um, and have just been consistently there working in a background, uh, uh, not getting carried away, just, you know, pushing what can be done with that current technology. But at the same time, in how we evangelize and how we educate our clients and people who want to get into VR, is you know better things will always come and we're still a few years away from those better things but it's you know it, it's an iterative process so we've just worked and built with that you know going from dk1 to dk2 having the first positional tracking um being able to move around a bit in your seat and you know a lot of the the motion sickness would you know went away straight away with that yeah um but you know, our first our first demo of the first thing we built for VR was um, what became Radial G, which was ended up being a day one launch title for Oculus Rift in 2016. But you know that started life in a DK1, um, and on paper and in videos, people were like, uh, "How is that not a vomit comet?" Um, because it was essentially an arcade sci-fi roller coaster that you control. Mm -hmm. um but we learned a lot and we did a lot of things to that to make it super comfortable and after having demoed it to good many thousand people over the years we're tracking you know less than one percent of people who had to stop within 20 seconds and and take it off but that's great you know so the way that i would describe it for people that haven't seen radial g um it's it's like you're on a racetrack that you have a that you're magnetically attracted to and it's like a large tube so you could on this on this um the vehicle you're in you can kind of wrap around um this um uh racetrack tube, tube. Yeah. race tube you're right race tube yeah. and it's a race tube um and you yeah, it does look like you could get sick from it, but I imagine there's a lot of things working for you because you you've got you're you're enclosed inside a space. It's so that kind of gives you some grounding. You can pretty much move in and forth. It's not like it's unpredictable. You don't. I remember no. we made a uh, one of the first things as a prototype years ago was a uh, road rash type of game where you're on motorcycles and if you hit someone, they'd go flying and they'd tumble end over end. Um, and it was. <laughs> super funny and then yeah but see you being experienced in vr you know what would what you would feel if what yeah. happened all of a sudden you just uncontrollably spun over three axes um mm -hmm. uh and so it was a great demo but then after the demo and the results we're like yeah this can't go out anywhere because no one yeah. no one's going to appreciate this so <laughs> so <laughs> um so what? So so you so you have some some titles. Uh, uh, one of the titles was uh, Radial G. Um, the other one, um, could you describe it? You described it a bit, uh, kind of like a Mario Party in VR. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so our second title uh, uh, was you know, a, a complete divergence from from Radial G. Radial G was very uh, fast, very intense, very moody um very uh, adrenaline fueled um and we learned a lot about comfort but with loco dojo we wanted to experience and learn more about a the touch controllers because um they they hadn't come out when we had we had dev kits and we wanted to explore the limitations and what we could do with tracked input 
um, and also what we could do with with multiplayer um, because you know, one of the common complaints about VR has always been that um, it's isolatory, um, it's a single player experience, you're shut off from the world, etc, uh, etc. Et but, you know, as we've seen with the rise of social VR is it's and VR in general, it's like it's what's going on in the headset. Um, and because because you're, you're 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 shut away from the real world doesn't mean you're shut away from the rest of the world. Um, and what then you know after that sort of early toy box demo from Oculus, where you're passing stuff around, um, and some of the early Vive demos, it was like right, what can we do that is simple to pick up, simple to learn, difficult to master? but at the same time showcases all these different kind of interactions and things you can do with the controllers. And at the same time is stupid British fun. Um, so the technical term. Uh, yeah. 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 It, 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 it's an official thing over here. You can get like a certification and everything. <laughs> um, uh, but um, so we had this sort of, um, well, we have a thing called punt of the week. Um, and basically a punt is like a random, you know, sort of don't ask, don't get a random, you know, throw it out there, see if it sticks, um, mm. uh, try your luck kind of thing. Um, and we really wanted Brian Blessed, well, we really wanted Danny DeVito to uh, to voice, no, not Danny DeVito, he's still alive. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, other short actor, um, British, um, Bob hoskins but he's dead um uh, to be the voice of our grand sensei um but um the the we there's another great british actor called brian blessed who nobody really ever knows who he is unless you're over a certain age and you remember the cult sci-fi sort of campy classic flash gordon um he was king of the wingmen but he's like very loud very boisterous um very british um uh, he also played King of the Gungans in Phantom Menace, but you know we don't really talk about Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> um, ignore those. Ignore those. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we emailed his, his agent, like on the off chance that uh, he would be available and affordable to to do the VO for us. And uh, yeah, they came back with a price that we could accept. Um, and lo and behold, he became he became our grand sensei, and he he equally ch uh, congratulates and uh, chastises you in the game depending upon how how well you do um and brings like a real character um wow. but obviously the, the the real purpose of the game is to whack bats with sausages um and milk pigs and throw biscuits and ride pigs uh, and shoot snakes to catch burgers and other things that make completely logical sense when you say them out loud. Yeah, that totally. But, I, one of my favorite things about trying to describe a game that's super fun to people is trying to describe it and it doesn't sound fun at all. It sounds like a weird yeah. thing, right? And then you're like, it's like you try to describe Pac-Man to a kid who's never played it. It's like, no, right. like you go around and you eat these things and then these ghosts chase you and then you're like you get a pill. It's just trying to describe it doesn't do it um, any, any type of justice. Uh, but that's VR. In a whole nutshell, right? Mm. You can describe VR till you're blue in the face, or you can stick a headset in someone and they get it in ten seconds. Yeah, and then that, and that's why I usually describe to people as a bandwidth issue. Is that like in order for me to communicate to you, right? We have a certain amount of bandwidth that's being communicated. Now I put mm -hmm. I, I take over your your vision and your auditory and all those other senses. The bandwidth widens way up, and you can actually yeah. experience what it is versus me try to try to sell you why. Oh my God, uh, whacking. Uh, sausages with a bat is super fun. <laughs> yeah, but you know we've got. Um, I, I was just up updating it today, actually, um, in preparation for something else coming this year. Uh, you know, there's over a hundred videos on on YouTube of of people doing let's play videos of the game, mm -hmm. and if I'm ever feeling slightly blue, then I just watch a random video of somebody playing the game because they're just having so much fun and they're just so happy and they're just crying with laughter uh whilst they're doing these stupid things that, that we designed uh, that it just makes you feel really good that you know you've put this thing out there that people really enjoy playing yeah man there's a there's an absolute joy 
in giving the gift of people having a good time with what you've made. So like that, yeah. whatever experience that thing is, and you can see them playing and giggling and, and, and all that stuff. And, uh, and, and it, it makes it, uh, it makes it worth it. Um, how is, I'm going to, sh- I want to shift the conversation from the, the social VR that you're creating and you're using these things as experimental features to understand and build things out for the enterprise space. Because that's what yeah. you're doing. You're, you expect what what the 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 dirty secret of all enterprise training applications is that you leverage all of the games and the insights and the things that work in the entertainment space, and you bring them over to the enterprise space because you want to make something that people have to do fun and entertaining and compelling and engaging in a way that they will yeah. actually go through it. You know, so. Could talk to me a little bit about the lessons and insights that you made from local dojo and the multiplayer code base and things you discovered, and then and how you transitioned that into the enterprise space. Um, well, I mean, we, I, I describe it as like a sort of dual cyclic system. So, you know, mm-hmm. we will build these these little prototypes, these little interaction and explorations in terms of what can we do as a particular technology or as a particular feature, mm-hmm. um, make it into something fun to play. Uh, it gives us stuff that we can talk about publicly and show publicly as well, raising awareness of the profile. That then gets attention from hardware manufacturers who will then give us access to dev kits and prototypes and stuff, which we can then take those prototypes and incorporate into that sort of what's coming down the line um and then we work with our clients and enterprise who want to be innovative and want us be involved in the next thing um and then you know it, that that's where we then get the sort of agency sort of profitable work from um but then that then feeds back into the next prototype and our own internal investment of how we build out that next thing um as i say you know radio g taught us a lot about how to make something in VR super comfortable beyond just the technical performance of, of meeting certain frame rates and whatnot. Um, Loco Dojo taught us a lot about all these different kind of interaction types, plus what is what is easy for somebody to, who's never used a gamepad in a sort of enterprise experience who's, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old, maybe, um, uh, is suddenly you know, gone to go and do a training program and they're not being presented with a PowerPoint or uh, a group, you know, discussion. They're now, you know, being asked to put on a headset. You know, what can we do to reduce, well, the faff and the, the, the you know, the, the barriers to entry, the, the, the prickly pain points for the facilitators, but also the users? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we just make it, they can put the headset on They've got their acclimatization period. Okay, it's like, oh, okay, this is VR. I understand. But then it's like, oh, I've got hands. What do I do? You know, oh, okay, I can press a button and suddenly I've got a screwdriver or, you know, a wrench or I'm selecting a menu and a dialogue option. Um, it all just feeds into uh, making it, yeah, there's the old design adage, which is, you know, KISS, which is keep it super simple uh, or keep it simple, stupid. Um, uh, and you know, VR is very much the same. Um, you, you, when you're still looking at probably, I don't know, six or seven out of 10 users these days are going to be first time users. Mm -hmm. Um, and your experience is going to be their first, uh, experience of, of VR. Um, you know, VR seems to be this really binary thing where people put the headset on and depending upon that experience, they either love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't seem to disconnect that experience from the technology. So if it's a bad experience, they'll just write off the technology. Um, you know, it's like watching TV. You know, if you've never seen TV before and you watch a TV show um, uh, and you've never seen a TV show before, you know, if the first TV show you see is, I don't know, NASCAR and you don't like racing, you're going to be like, oh, you wouldn't be like, oh, TV's rubbish. It's like, is there something else to try? Is there something else to watch? What else can TV do? But a lot of people are just like, no, didn't like it. Made me feel sick. Made me feel funny. It was overwhelming or wasn't, you know, it wasn't interesting. Yeah, um, it's... And 
it's the same in the training space as well. You know, a lot of people struggle to, because um, we don't necessarily have a demo or a prototype or an example of every single real world interaction or training scenario available because you know, we're asking people to, to, to pay us essentially to make them. Um, and some people, they can understand, all right, this example that you're showing me, I can understand how elements of this could correlate and translate to something that I would like to make build, whereas other people just don't get it at all. Uh, and they just can't yeah. sort of stretch their imagination to see how that would work in a 4D space. Yeah, I've also noticed this, generally the older and the more expensive the suit, the less like a fool they want to look like and the less likely they are to put on the headset with anybody around. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously devices are getting smaller and lighter. Um, I always describe VR as being like a, a, a pan of milk. You know, it's not just one thing boiling up. It's like all these different things that are heating up individually and it's all going to come to a certain temperature at the same time and then it will, you know, flow over and boil over. Mm. Um, and it's like, um, you know, things uh, like 5G or 6G, things that are going to enable wider bandwidth, things that are going to enable remote processing, streaming, um, you know, better optics, things that are going to enable lighter headsets, um, pass through, uh, all these various aspects that will, you know, reduce it down to a pair of glasses at some point that will be beneficial. Um, so you haven't just got this big goofy black box on your face. Uh, but we, you know, at, at the same time, a lot of people have tried VR and they've tried, you know, a Google Cardboard and a roller coaster simulator, or a roller coaster video, uh, and uh, it made me feel funny. I don't like VR. And then you've got to try and get them into a six-off thing and go, well, that wasn't really VR. Let's, you know, try tr try the full fat thing um, and, and then tell me if you don't like it. Man, I could tell you how many times I've been faced with that. I'm like, you want to try it? Like, no, I've already tried it. I don't like it. Like, what did you try? They're like, oh, it was, it was on a phone. It was a cardboard. It was a roller coaster. That is almost the number one thing that I hear from people yeah. of why they don't like VR is they, they, they've tried out that the cardboard headset and and it just it made them sick and yeah and we know why and so it's because you're 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 locked in a three off position and you're moving your head in these weird positions and you don't have mm. that that sinking up because the sixth off isn't tracking your whole thing so you're having those you know the the proprioception in your ear and everything you're, you're losing where you're you're located and so your body's like you must be sick and so yeah but at the same time it's like have you been on a roller coaster in the real world? How did that make you feel? You know, <laughs> that is true. I, I, I don't like the scary movie. It scared me. You're like, well, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so try, try yeah, a different so, movie. Um, you know, it, it's a very patient game uh, mm -hmm. in terms of uh, uh, encouraging people to to try it out. Um, I mean, incidentally, I mean, I've demoed, you know, DK one, DK two. CV1, Vive, gear, a variety of Gear VRs, Goes, you know, um, and other products that aren't Oculus. Um, but um, uh, I, I, I've generally found, and it's a shame because, well, I mean, obviously Quest 2 is now white, um, uh, PSVR is, is, is white, uh, Daydream was available in different colors, uh, the Go was gray. Um, but yeah, I, I generally found people were more more willing to put a headset on if it wasn't just this big nerdy black techie box thing if it came um, in you know they all all headsets need to come in a multitude of colors yeah it's interesting i just feel like they're shifting towards like how do we look more like apple how do we make things look more white because that's what apple's like their color is i mean they have that and then like an array of like bright colors and i do think yeah. that you're right big scary black thing you put on your face versus like slim sleek like 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 the ear pods you have in right now they're yeah. uh, they're they're slick they're sleek they 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 look and it's also familiar for people they're like oh it's okay it's it's i know this i it, it it must be safe um yeah so what let me ask you in terms of in in terms of the the enterprise training areas what do you think are some of the the biggest and most profound use cases for using vr for for the enterprise sector. Um, I mean, I think 
you know a number of years in now uh what 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 we what we term hard skills have been done to death um and they're like really obvious use cases for vr because you can create a virtual environment that uh creates um a sense of danger or it would be expensive to put someone in there in the real world or you can create scenarios that are real edge cases that you know you can't just record on, on in a video uh, in the real world because they don't happen um or you've got to be in the right time in the right place um and you know we've seen what well, however many uh pushback airplane vr training experiences and you know construction sites and uh you know a, a multitude of oil and gas rig you know sort of fire safety training yeah. um but you know their the biggest growth of the area for us and the most interesting area is all the soft skills as in the opposite of the hard but mm -hmm. you know more interpersonal skills um and i hate to use that uh, I hate to use the term empathy machine, but you know it does really work within the soft skills area. Where using, you know, uh, if you if you read the research from like Mel Slater at University of Barcelona, um, embodiment um, and avatar um, uh, agency, um, swapping positions and you know playing back record recording of, of your behaviour, um, being being in somebody else's shoes um but soft skills training is you know typically pretty bad in using traditional methods um people don't take it seriously you know you're asking people to role play scenarios they don't really have experience of if they've got actors in you know actors performance changes over the day it's not consistent there's no real subjective feedback um whereas with with vr you know we can change all of that because we can measure exactly what they're doing and where they're looking and know wearables we can add you know record extra biometrics etc and when they say oh yeah i felt fine in this and go well actually your heart rate was through the roof and you weren't making eye contact or something like that um you know there's actual quantitative data that we can give back to uh, uh, to, to the to the learners um but at the same time you can take a headset away and you can go and do your your practice and your training with Whatever the scenario is, with ever however many you know 3D uh, human avatars uh, uh, is set up, um, and you don't have to worry about you know embarrassment or looking like a doofus with with your work colleagues or um, in a group session. Um, so yeah, I mean for us, our our, our clients, especially in finance, are, are you know really picking up on this in terms of how they can incorporate VR for soft skills training to make make their teams uh, not just you know be more effective in terms of selling and communication and stuff that benefits the business but also um be better people by being more aware of the outcomes of their actions and how they treat their colleagues have you seen have you seen because with the soft skills i mean have you seen like uh, uh, an effectiveness in the systems? Like how long does it take for them to be effective going through this? How many, how many, uh, what would you call the dose? How many times do they go through it? Are they, because uh, I mean, it's um, change, hard skills is very binary, very simple. If you touch mm -hmm. that, you're gonna get electrocuted. No problem. Soft skills is a, is, is a billion series of grays. Right, and it is much more and more, it, that's why it's soft. It's hard to measure, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Have, have you seen, like measurable and like 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 behavioral shifts because of this and if so what have been what have been the greatest behavioral shifts that you've seen or been able to measure with this other than you know oh your heart rate ran up great how does that how is that actually applied in the real world scenarios and have you seen effective change yeah i mean a lot of the measurement we're still waiting for our clients to feed back you know they've had it deployed for a year or so and they've been using it in various elements um, but as you say, it is quite grey, and um, one of the pieces of training that we did was actually hard skills, but it's actually soft skills because it was for maintenance crew managers, um, and it was about raising the empathy of the managers of their crews, and not them uh, them not doing 
making the crews do so many tasks a day so they weren't you know rushing on the job uh, uh, when they, when the crews came to them requesting replacement PPE etc understanding the importance of uh, you know not worn out PPE so it's not snapping and they're not falling from a great height um, as part of sort of like a work home at uh, work safe home safe aspect mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it these things are so it's really hard I mean they've seen you know less fatal incidents happening on the job but they can't tie that exactly 100 percent to you know 29 percent of these you know is, is a result of you know doing vr training yeah um but yeah it's getting those measurable outcomes um i mean pwc has done a big report with with another vr training company in soft skills um uh, but a lot of the outcomes were more around learner um, acceptance uh, of the training rather than actual specific outcomes uh, of the training. So it's more like twenty nine percent or you know eighty whatever percent uh, of learners would use VR again or felt more comfortable in in such such a scenario if it happened in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, you know. We're looking at uh, DE and I uh, training, sort of diversity, equality, and inclusion. Um, but we're creating an experience which is a discussion piece rather than something that you create or, or something you experience. And at the end, after an assessment, it goes, "Congratulations, you are only twenty nine percent racist," or something quite so you know specific like that it's more about making just people be aware and think um of those scenarios and how they treat other people um but yeah those quantifiable Mm -hmm. metrics is is one of the key areas where you know vr really struggles at the moment because they're either not being shared publicly or um they aren't being done across a big enough scale um to to be really meaningful beyond like, you know, a study group of 40, 50 people. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, I mean, th- there's a reason why hard skills have been done to death is because it's very straightforward. You you yeah. grab a nail, you hit the hammer and the ball, your you're jo- job done, right? And that's and that's why I'm really curious with like the, the soft skills training. It's a super difficult, hard to measure where, show me my bottom line. How does this make me more money? Where's my, mm. where's my you know, and but the, the challenge is that it is there, but how do you, how do you quantify it? How do you measure it? What do you when you're working with a client and you're sitting down with them and they want to do and they want to do soft skills? Like how do you how do you get clear on the outcomes that you want to measure? Because really, as as any development studio, you come in and go, great. What's your problem? How are we going to measure the outcome? This is what we're going to do. Ready, set, go. So how do you work with your clients to define outcome measurements for soft skills? Um, well, a lot of it is more about how many people they they get through, um, so they know in a traditional form, you know, uh, it takes X number of sessions over Y length of time to get 200 employees through this training course. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of our one of our big finance clients, you know, straight away on their first experience that we we built after a prototype, they were able to understand that after they paid the cost of the creation, um, by running it so many times a week with so many headsets and so many sessions that they had actually you know saved two hundred seventy five thousand pounds or something uh, over the first year um so financial savings in in that regard in terms of efficiencies of training are fairly straightforward and you can work that out um but then um a lot of it comes down to um the sort of financial efficiencies that you're you're enabling for other departments or other aspects of the company which you can't necessarily put a price on but um you know if you look at waste management for example um pretty low uh, budgets for training but pretty high budgets for insurance in case there's any injury um but you know those two budgets are entirely separate um mm-hmm. and they can't really be correlated to, to, to one another um, but then also um, it's more about um, saving 
saving effort in the future where um, one of our products well, is, is a tool, uh, Skillshield is all about. Um, we take a cast from the VR headset um, combined with a video feed of the person doing the training and create like a learner record, but it then becomes this irrefutable video record of them doing the training because um, there's issues in construction where people pay their buddies to go and do the training for them and then they go on site untrained. Um, and then if an, if an on-site incident occurs, um, you know, their defense in court was like, well, you have no evidence that this is this is Barry actually doing the training or, or, or he's, he, he's actually certified. Yeah. Um, so this creates that irrefutable video evidence that's saying, well, look, here's a video of Barry in 2021. Um, here, here's the training. Here's his, here's his assessment. This is him. This is the photo video of him actually doing it. It's such um, like the, 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 the epitome, but like the, the basis of human, the, one of the banes of humanity's problems is someone doesn't do the work. And then they get they get they get injured from it, and so then they go and try and sue other people, and they go prove that I I, I didn't do my thing. Like it just yeah. it's a very it's a very interesting, and so it's like look, it, it, it makes a ton of sense. You're recording them so they can see it, and then you can go back and go, no, you did this thing, and so yeah. it's a it's a verifiable record. Uh, but I just to hear people don't do the training, they get injured, and then they go and sue people, and they say prove that I didn't do the train, prove that I did the training. It's um, uh. I could, I could, I could see humans. Interesting. Uh, okay. So shift, shifting away from that, what, what excites you about the future of these headsets coming out? Um, the, the, the new headset that you can't talk about so much, the new technologies coming in, the blending with other things. What is, what are all these things, uh, together really? What, what about this future of training and, um, and work excites you? Um, well, I mean, I the main thing that excites me, we see the biggest adoption happening in the workplace. So, you know, the number of times that we go into an organization either to, you know, do the deploy final deployment of whatever it is we've been building or we go for a discovery workshop and meet them for the first time and introduce them to the possibilities of immersive tech. And you're there and you're showing them training content and they're like, oh, my God, this is awesome. This is the best thing ever. Uh, and they're they're like straight on their phones, you know, going. I, I can get one of these for home, right? And they're buying, you know, they're buying a headset from Target or Walmart or you know Argus, etc. Um, uh, and they've tried a, a very serious uh, experience, but you sort of say, well, you know, there's other things you can do with it. Yes, you can play games, but there's also um, you know, Google Earth and Google Street View and nature treks and meditation and um, tilt brush and all these creative experiences. Um, and it's the thing that excites me is when people stop. Uh, you know, a lot of organizations sell a headset with an app on it and the, the end user or the end organization is kind of stuck into this system where we have bought a headset for one purpose uh, and we can't do anything else with it. And it's like, no, it's it's so much more than that. You know, it's just a tool within this new tool set of, of uh, new ways of, you know, a new medium, uh, new ways of communicating and new ways of telling stories. Um, so, you know, I, I'm excited for more and more people to have that experience of what VR can do um so they go and find other things that can be done with it mm. um and you know that adoption will grow and i'm excited for the day when i can just post a thing on on facebook or twitter and say hey this thing's just come out and you know my grandma would be like awesome i'm just gonna i'm, I'm gonna go and buy it for my headset um i mean my grandma's pretty hardcore i've got photos of her she's tried dk1 dk2 gear vr CV1, Quest, <laughs> uh, uh, all the stuff. Yeah. Uh, and whenever she comes over, she's like, have you got that thing where I can punch your shots? And it's like, yep, sure. And I'll put her on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it, it, the exciting thing is that we're getting to the stage sort of just beyond that early adopter, sort of jumping the chasm into the late adopter where, you know, people were 
buying it at home and they see we're seeing it on tv we're seeing it in adverts we're seeing it in game shows um it's not just this weird dark sci-fi dystopian hardware nerdy niche that you know it has been for so long 100 percent, man no it makes sense i love i love that your grandma is your canary in the coal mine <laughs> yeah. keep trying good grandma great all right and you're right it is it's um like lights going on the city at night right they're all starting to turn on right and now it's starting to be like the time where like most of these lights are turning on where people have tried the headsets and and now it's good enough to where i mean you know this we did like five years ago you show someone a giant vive headset with a three thousand dollar pc and all that fun stuff they're like oh that's cool yeah but now with the headset we're like i can buy this on amazon like and then you just see yeah. them go into whoop and they buy it and it's just out the gate which is awesome what um um is there anything else that you'd like to let people know about before you before you can tell people how to get a hold of you um i mean i i, I just say to everyone you know it is a new medium and i encourage everyone from all backgrounds to get involved and build and explore and experiment um we can only make this successful if there is a diverse and inclusive range of content made by a diverse and inclusive range of people. Um, you know, let's not let this be another tech uh, uh, run by people like myself. Um, and you know, let's make it the beautiful thing that it can be. Um, is pretty much um, always my my closing gambit. Come in, join the party. The water's warm. Awesome. And if, yeah. people, want, if people want to find more about you and what you do, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, well, the company is Make Real, um, and we're generally Make Real VR, all one words, at Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, my, uh, I myself, uh, I'm VR underscore Sam on Twitter, um, and allegedly, um, well, 2017 anyway, that was the last time any of the big data companies uh, last really cared about VR hashtags, uh, but I'm 12th most influential person in the world, apparently. Um, <laughs> But I've written a lot of over 350 articles and blog posts and uh, uh, interviews and whatnot about VR over the past eight years. So there's quite a sort of history to go back through there. There's some, uh, you're, you're, you're making a compiling a book there of information. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Uh, well, Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Um, thank you for uh, putting out the content and putting out the message. And um, I will see you in the virtual landscape. So take care, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.